We here at Come and Take It would like to send our thoughts and prayers out to the Texans who have lost their homes and lives in the deadly flooding in the past several weeks. If you would like to support disaster relief for these devastated communities in Texas, you can donate to the Texas Disaster Relief Fund at texas.gov or simply give to the American Red Cross. Come and Take It fans, join us tonight, Monday, June 1st, when we live tweet Texas Rising Part 3. It'll be the most exciting two hours of your life. Be sure to go to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Give us a rating because that's how we find other listeners just like you. And spread the word about Come and Take It. Let people know the truth of Texas history. And without further ado, here's the show. Wait, wait, wait. Sean, I would be thrilled to see a leisure suit in any context. Just put that on the record. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Today, we recap and review Texas Rising Part 2, Fate and Fury. But first, what's your favorite ship in Texas that is not the Battleship Texas? Well, I'm going to go with the USS Dallas. Uh, which is a real ship, but it also is most famous for being in the hunt for Red October. I'm going to pick another Los Angeles-class sub, the USS City of Corpus Christi. Although when it was first commissioned, it was just the USS Corpus Christi, and then a lot of people said, uh, well, there's a submarine called the Body of Christ, if you speak a little Latin. So they, they made it clear that it's for the city. And it came to Corpus <laughs> when I was a kid. It was really cool. My favorite ship in Texas that is not the USS Battleship Texas is uh, LaSalle's ship LaBelle, which they recently dug up in Matagorda Bay, which I think is pretty awesome that they finally found that ship after all these years. Poor forgotten LaSalle. I know. Mm. Hopefully they'll soon install it in the French section of Six Flags. Yay, next to the bathrooms. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to jump back in today and we're going to talk about Fate and Fury, Part 2 of Texas Rising. Uh, To begin with, let's recap just sort of the story for you guys and bring you up to speed of what happens. So when we left off at the end of Episode 1, we had already had the Battle of the Alamo, uh, and the Texans had found out about it and were infuriated by it, uh, and Sam Houston has to hold his army together. And meanwhile, the survivor of the Alamo, Emily West, who later became the Yellow Rose of Texas, comes to the Texas camp, We find out she had a relationship with Houston in the past, and now she's sneaking out and resolved apparently to go sneak into Santa Ana's camp. So as we begin part two, um, Bannon and his men are finally leaving Goliad, but they get ambushed. Uh, The Mexicans are right on their tail. Um, We meet Bigfoot Wallace's brother, played by Jake Busey, but uh, they're all, everyone else is killed, and Jake gets captured. So we find out that when Emily West left the Texan camp, she more or less went straight to Santa Ana and somehow ends up in Santa Ana's bathtub. Um, <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Um, Sam Houston sends the uh, one of the handful of Tejanos that apparently are in the Texas army, uh, Juan Flores, to go undercover on a secret mission into Santa Ana's army. Um, I guess the theory is that he'll blend in because he's actually um, Tejano. (laughs) 
Um, (laughs) Basically, he wants to keep tabs on Emily West. Uh, Santa Ana then orders all of the Goliad men executed because, in his view, of course, they are not soldiers. They are pirates. So, cut to, it has been four weeks now since the Alamo, and neither army has moved an inch. Uh, Houston decides to leave and go off with the Rangers for no real reason. And uh, then Bigfoot Wallace and Jack Hayes make their way to Goliad, but then they get robbed. At this point, Ray Liotta's character Lorca brutally slaughters dozens of Mexican soldiers with a knife uh, in his bare hands. And then he gets totally crazy with Sam Houston. He's he's the only person that's managed to kill any Mexicans in this movie about the Texas Revolution. <laughs> so then at this point, Houston encounters the Comanche, uh, who apparently don't understand Shakespeare. Yeah. So Crispin Glover and Jonathan Skaich, they ferment mutiny against Houston, and they send young Mirabeau Lamar to talk to President Burnett into ousting him. Uh, Thomas Jane, the actor, shows up. Uh, I don't know who his character is. Uh and he meets a character who is the spitting image of Al Swearingen from Deadwood. And he tries to buy some land in the middle of everybody else trying to cut out a town from the Mexican army. I don't know where this story is going. Uh, meanwhile, Emily West spies on Santa Ana, nearly gets caught, but she finds out that he's planning on splitting his forces. So enough time passes at this point that... Uh... <sighs> Andrew freaking Jackson in Washington, D.C. finds out the news of everything that happens because there are cell phones at this time in 1836. Uh, And also, yeah, the armies haven't moved an inch in this red hot pursuit across Texas. Uh, Houston goes back to the army and he talks them into retreating finally, finally, so that they can fight the Mexican army on better ground. Yeah. Um, and, and credits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say uh, Thomas Jane's character is uh, James Wyckoff, ah. who apparently he's, uh, you know, he's the one that buys the homestead from the impresario. So. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. Yes. Right. Yes, that's right. Well, we're just glad to see him in the show. Again, what a great actor. Yeah. Like, yeah. big fans of Deep Blue Sea, <laughs> loved his Punisher and Punisher shorts. Uh, <laughs> so I can't wait to see what he does. I'd say before we get into like the nuts and bolts of the show, um, I just want to reiterate how the opening of the show with the the credit scene and the animations and stuff, <laughs> it's they very much spread a layer of a near of Game of Thrones across this whole thing. Yeah. And with with a touch of Deadwood. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the mannerisms and some of the language <laughs> they try and mimic Deadwood. But as far as like kind of the the grand uh, animation and the grand uh, framing of everything and the music, it's very Game of Thrones in that way. Although I have to say that throughout, I did, you know, it was there in the first episode, but I really picked up on it in the second episode. The score, I really enjoy the score of this show. Regardless of what else is on screen, uh, the score um, feels very kind of old school to me, very much a classical type of movie Western score. I agree. I think they're hitting all those notes. Um, to try to evoke, I mean, the, where they filmed it and how they're doing yeah. it, you know, it's, they're trying to go for the scale of that, but they're also, I think, I think, like you said, they're, they're putting a heavy sprinkling of Game of Thrones over the whole thing. Yeah. And, and, and I think they're also, the score reminded me most of the score to the Lonesome Dove miniseries. And I think they're also trying to, to go for some of that feeling as well. Um, I, there were parts of the score I really liked. There were other parts that I thought were 
kind of silly and I didn't care for. Well, there's, so, there's parts of this um, whole thing that are silly and you didn't care for, to be yeah. fair and honest. At least the first half of this episode, the first hour, I thought really was well acted and well done and pretty well scripted. It seemed to flow really well, especially the scenes with Emily and uh, Santa Anna. We'll get into that more, but I, I did feel like there was there was some good improvement over the first episode until about the point when I realized that San- Houston had gone off with the Rangers to go riding around for no dadgum reason. So let's talk about the egregious Texas historical errors that make us absolutely crazy. Uh, first up, let's just talk about the timeline. Yeah. I mean, this I think was one of the things that really jumped out in, in early conversations about it is the fact that the, this stuff happens. And in, in, if you look at the history books, it, it moves quickly. Like there were it, people were, packing their things and hitting the road. And I mean, everything happened really fast. And this, the armies, not even just the people evacuating, but the armies just sit there for a month, twiddling their thumbs. Yeah, like, a month. Like St. Anna could have just been like, okay, well, let's just have a quick march and we can put this whole thing away because they haven't even packed a, they haven't packed a thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, historically, I mean, they moved a lot more than that, right? Yeah, they, they, they burned the town down like on March 12th. Uh, which was, you know, less than a week after the Alamo, they 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 left Gonzales and burned it down and, and took off, uh, and Santa Ana was following them. So I mean, they had some stops here and there. They stopped for a couple of weeks at the Brazos, uh, Texans on the east side of the river, and the Mexicans on the west side. But uh, they, there was this makes no th- sense. It was just painful. Yeah, it's. I mean, I and I didn't really notice it until the scene with Andrew Jackson and the cryon said. April 11th. And they're talking about, well, we think that I think that Houston's lost the war. And Andrew Jackson has says something crusty about that boy is, is gonna, is gonna come back from behind and whip them or something. I don't know, but it's Chris Christopherson. He's great, but it's, it's, he's so crusty. I really couldn't follow what he <laughs> well, was talking you know, about. And this week I might turn on <laughs> the closed caption so I can get, get the exact uh, uh, things they say. Okay. So they got the timeline. Wrong. Yeah. Um, it's totally wrong. Totally. Yeah, then then on top of that, like the the idea of of they get stuff wrong, but parts of this show look really great. Like I think the cinematography is really good at times, but uh, you know the the historical accuracy of the the Texan costumes. Let's talk about that. <laughs> there, the one guy. Uh, there's there's a guy. He's dressed like he's dressed like he walked off the set of Tombstone. He's got like a black cowboy hat, black boots, black jeans, and a black vest. And he's, he's not wearing a revolver. I, that's the one saving grace of this show. I haven't seen anybody with a revolver, which is good, but, um, he's dressed out of tombstone and it's like, that's an 1870s time period. And this is the 1830s. It, would you be, you know, okay with seeing a leisure suit in a movie about the great depression? Wait, 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 wait. Sean, I would be thrilled yeah. to see a leisure suit, leisure suit in any contest. Just okay, well, put that yeah. on the record. Or, or parachute. Pants. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. I would love to see some breakdancing. Like a like, I'd love to see Sam Houston in Santa Ana. Like solve the whole let's, thing with a breakdancing contest at the end. Of let's this. let's let's produce a retelling of the Texan Revolution set <laughs> in the late seventies, early eighties disco parachute pants era. I think it yeah, would be outstanding. Okay. That would that and would work. Well, that would work. Dave, David Crockett in full on parachute pants, nylon jacket, 
mode. Well, I, I've sent great. out the, the clarion call to um, our friend Aaron over at the Gun Rights in Texas uh, podcast. I'm like, if, you get, if you're watching this show and you see any weird gun inaccuracies, let us know. But we haven't seen anything egregious yeah. like a revolver uh, yet that <laughs> like just is, oh, well, that's, you know. So one thing that I did read was that they took great pains to make the battle stuff um, as accurate as they could. So I'm going to say that they did their research and they probably did everything they could to make sure that their uh, hardware and their, you know, the actual fighting was as realistic as they could make it. Well, and so some of the, uni- okay, so the uniforms that uh, Sidney Sherman were in, Sidney Sherman, his unit was the, I think the New Orleans Grays. They were the only truly uniformed unit in the Texan army. Um, but um, and that's Jonathan Skates' character. Now, on the Mexican side, the costumes and uniforms are accurate. Very accurate. I'm going to guess that somebody in Hollywood was like, look, we have done we did this big Alamo movie about a couple of years ago, Billy Bob Thornton, and I got a whole warehouse full of like Mexican army uniforms. But, you guys want to rent yeah. them uh, pretty cheap because I can't use them for yeah. anything else. But none of the Texans except Sam Houston is wearing buckskins. I mean, that's to me is pretty egregious too. It's like that was common wear at the time was buckskins and no one's wearing, it doesn't seem like anybody's wearing buckskins. So it, it just is kind of off, off putting. Um, the, the most accurate costume of the Texans so far is Brandon Frazier. And he's playing a, like a white man raised by Indians. So, so costumes inaccurate, um, geography and landscape, of course, still completely inaccurate we're still in the desert um but i kind of expect that at this point i don't imagine they would magically um transition from the desert to the coastal plains where these events actually took place it's just yeah. not going now, to the happen. thing i thought you said like they work they're working from the stuff you read that they're working really hard on getting the battles to be accurate what i find interesting about that though is it, you know the the landscape affects the bat like a landscape affects how battles go. So somebody said like, mm-hmm. what else will they get wrong? And I said, well, the battle of San Jacinto is probably going to be fought like on an Arctic mo- mountain pass. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, that's all I can figure. But um, no, it, I, well, and that's the people are holding their breath about San Jacinto because that's what people are concerned about because San Jacinto is one is like you said, one of those battles that truly was affected by geography. Swampy. It was, it was a, a feat. It was a field of land, of dry land between a swamp and a, a creek and a river and a tidal estuary, a bayou. So there, it was specifically fought for the geographic reasons. And so if they get that wrong, I, I, then I think it's ultimate like, fail. Yeah, I'm yeah, they're ac- yeah. Go ahead. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, no. That's, well, that's hey, still a but, hours away. you're right. We got six hours to get to that. So, but <laughs> so I guess the thing that bothers me probably most about the geography is just the fact that I understand there's budgetary reasons you filmed it in one place and and all of that, and not in Texas. I don't understand, but because you can find all of the landscapes that took place during the Texas Revolution in Texas, um, but I, I it, it's a little bit insulting. I think it bothers us a lot because there's sort of this perception of what a Texan is. A Texan wears a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and rides a horse and it's dry and it's dusty and there's a saloon and there's like a, you know, and it just, it's this image of what this one thing it is. And it's like, Texas is such a vast ecosystem. I mean, where they started in, um, 
South Texas and then San Antonio, and then they kind of race across the coastal plain, and then they get over to more of the piney woods and then the the swampy parts of Houston. It's you know, it's it's a diverse and beautiful ecosystem <laughs> that nobody is getting exposure who's watching the show. So I think that's probably why it bothers mm-hmm. us on a whole other level. Well, if they decide to move to Amarillo, then they should be okay because it should meet their expectations. Or like Alpine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we talked earlier in a recap that Juan Flores is going to go and be a spy for Houston in the Mexican army. Because if just a guy shows up, you just assume, hey, he's he's Mexican, I'm Mexican. Oh, look, we're all Mexicans here. I'm just going <laughs> to accept some stranger shows up off the street. But he's one of the three that we've seen participating in the Texas Revolution. And that is probably one of the, I mean, this is it's a huge error in terms of numbers and percentages, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, a good, a good chunk of the Texan army was Tejano. And uh, once again, is played right. He is supportive of Houston. He's a supporter of, you know, he, he stands by Houston, but um, it's like, yeah, it just, there's something I'm unsettling about this part. Juan Flores and once again, have their little conversations about how they don't, they're not sure if the Texans are going to accept them and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, that's the, the sum encapsulation of the Tejano experience of the Texas revolution I have a problem with that. It's it it is totally a failure. So we're hoping that changes, but we're guessing that at this point we're four hours in. So what did you guys think when Houston rode off with the Rangers and you know just fought some Comanches in a thing that never even remotely happened during the Texas Revolution for the month when well, they're parked there and doing absolutely nothing? Well, let's go fight <laughs> some Indians for a while because we've got nothing to do for the next thirty days. Yeah. Well, my first impression is, of course, uh, the same reaction I get when I think about the fact that uh, why would uh, Captain Kirk or Captain Picard or any of the bridge crew, for that matter, go on every single away <laughs> mission on the on the starship? That is Enterprise? not your job. <laughs> why? Why would the general of the Texas Army be riding across the countryside with his Rangers? Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, look, I mean, look, I, I, I wish we could encapsulate these things into clever phrases we could like put on a shirt like Han shot first, you know, like, <laughs> you know, Houston is not a ranger. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to talk to the 86 screenwriters who took passes at this <sighs> and and find out what they were thinking about this. Um, I, I did read some interesting things, though, uh, about the show and about the writing, and maybe this reveals from a film filmic perspective, maybe this reveals a little bit about what's going on here. This movie does seem like it, it probably was noted to death because it seems like there's things and there's names and characters that are truly historic uh, that are pretty obscure, like Juan Flores and uh, Henry Wax Carnes, some pretty obscure names and some things that they got right, like Deef Smith and his Tejano wife. And, uh, the references to Houston about, you know, being a drunk. And then it's like, then th- there seems to be the, maybe a base of what was, I'd be interested to see if there was like a base of like, there was a really good script in here somewhere. And then somewhere along the way, like people said, oh, this is boring. This doesn't make sense. Hey, make it more sexy. Hey, make it more, make some more comedic relief. And it just got killed in the rewrite process. I don't know if that's truly what happened, but it's kind of what it feels like to me. Like this Ranger plot 
feels like it was tacked on at the oh, last minute. I think minute. the Ranger plot is tacked on. Then let's just jump right into the the all of the stupid <laughs> Jar Jar Binks comic relief stuff that's going on with these the two goofballs. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did think was interesting and kind of goes against the black and white nature of everything else is the scene with the Rangers um, in the farmhouse where they end up shooting the pig. <laughs> um, oh. Honestly, I don't remember what else was going on in that scene. I had kind of lost interest <laughs> at that point. But I do remember thinking when I watched it, I was like, you know, at least they're showing that the Rangers are not, you know, these righteous all lily white cowboys that are completely, you know, stand up yeah. guys. It's like there is some there is some gray to them and it shows yeah. kind of the I don't know. It kind of shows that they're not just the legendary heroes that we think of, that there are two sides to them that you can I can very well see these particular group of guys going and slaughtering Mexicans just because they feel like Well, that. let me let me ask yeah. this. I mean, I mean, okay, the pig scene and so they kill off the the two kind of goofy comic reliefs, but then they brought in Jeremy Davies, who yeah, he was already in from the, he previous, was in the previous episode. episode but yeah. I mean, he was he was the deserter. He's a deserter, but now they've yeah. really he's really turned up. It feels like a yeah. comic parody of the role he played in um, Justified, in a way. Ah, and okay. but yeah. it was like but like turned up to eleven, um, and also yeah. like completely inept. Whereas that character was. Um, somewhat cunning at times. Um, but 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 he kept his Charlie Manson well, beard. He, yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> but I guess here's the thing: is like, um, why the comic relief? Why all of this? You know, I understand the Hollywood and the tacking on of the notes and stuff. But you know, even even John Wayne's Yalamo has like these moments of of you know levity, levity. in it. And I understand you have to take a breath and a break, but the scenes are so long. Where and they're yeah, so yeah. you're so deep into these like long comics. It's like a joke that goes on too long. You're like, okay, I'm bored now. Mm-hmm. I need the punchline. Like, why couldn't they yeah. just? These would have been good if it's a pinch of salt. Now it's just salty. Yeah. Well, I think it goes along with how we were talking about the uh, kind of the classical Western nature of the score and some of the cinematography and the location. How they're they're trying to capture that old west movie kind of feel Mm. and so in a sense maybe they're trying to capture that same sort of rhythm that some of the old westerns have like i always think of uh, the cowboys john wayne's Mm -hmm. the cowboys Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of that sprinkled through that movie how there's like all this serious stuff happening but then there's these scenes of comic relief juxtaposed with that and so maybe that's just kind of the rhythm they're trying to get into i think also what we're seeing is kind of a clash of we're Texan. We grew up in Texas. We learned all this stuff as kids. We just want to see that part of it, right? It's like we don't have to be invested in the characters. We're already invested by our history and by our interest in the subject. But it appears maybe they're trying to appeal to the people that don't already know this story. And they say, how do we get people interested in this stuff? Well, let's create these characters <laughs> and these funny, sto- you know, these funny joke scenes to draw people in. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of playing the devil's advocate there. Well, and and I can see that, I guess, with the Bigfoot Wallace and Jack Hayes, John Coffey Hayes, buddy movie subplot as well. But at the same time, I think there's too many characters, too. That's that's one of the big problems is there's there's too much going on and too many characters. Mm-hmm. And it I think 
it, it makes that comic relief too much. Look, to I don't want to fly my my geek flag too high here, <clears throat> but I will say that there are there are is an eerie like parallel to the feeling that you had when um, the first like Star Wars Episode One stuff came out because it was like ah we're you know, we have this whole generation of people who are vested in these characters. Let's explain where they come from. Let's make it interesting. Let's have lots of comic relief. Let's make it for kids. There'll be a, you know, weird race and all kinds of other stuff that they tack on all this stuff. And it feels like design by committee. And this history is so gripping that, you know, there've been scores of tales and novels and books written about these men and what they accomplished in this time that why do you have to dress it up and make it, you know, really, you know, give it the jazz hands treatment, you know, I don't know. Um, last thing that was just stuck out to me, and this was a big tweet. Uh, well, two, I'll say one, one was the candle budget was out of control in this, in this show. Like the number of bathtubs and, and, and candles where I was super impressed with the candle budget that they had for this movie. That's the one thing you guys yeah. got right. You really, you put your money in candles. But the second thing is, is there's a lot of scenes of people bathing and shaving yeah. and cleaning. And there is no higher virtue <laughs> than facial cleanliness for the man of 1830. No one ever <laughs> said that or felt that way. Like there's way too much cleanliness going on. Like it's like, yeah. it feels like tacked on, like <clears throat> in Top Gun, they have the famous like kind of locker room scene and they're like, well, we got to have a locker room scene with these pilots. And they're like, well, we don't actually have a, a locker room for the pilots at the, uh, at the base. And they're like, oh, well, we'll go, we'll go into the YMCA and we'll film these guys with their shirts off because we got to have a little bit of, you know, we got to have something for the ladies in the movie, I guess. I, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it feels weird to see like all this shaving. Yeah, so and this is another point where I, my mind wandered and I missed the setup <laughs> for it. But um, the big swimming pool at uh, the Texan <laughs> camp, wherever that was, is that, was that supposed to be like a big group bath? I missed that. I don't know what that was. No, no, no. That's like, that's supposed to be like a tank for the horses, the water. Ah, so okay. The horses. I don't know. You're talking about the one where Crispin Glover is standing on yeah, top of it. Yeah. yeah. Rebel rousing. Yeah. Okay. And Sam Houston punches this, him. And question answer. Spoiler. Sorry. Spoiler, spoiler it, alert. Sam Houston punches him and knocks him in the At this point in Texas, there is one natural lake in Texas. There's one. Yeah. <laughs> all of the lakes that you see today, a lot of the streams and rivers, a lot of that stuff all comes from, it's hard you watch the news because Texas is underwater right now, but I'm telling you, like, there's a lot more water present than they actually had at the time. Yeah. So that yeah. punch, is that historically accurate? No. Okay. No, no, no. I didn't think it was. I knew that no. Lamar was opposed to Houston pretty much from the beginning, but I didn't remember there ever being a physical oh, confrontation okay. like that. So Lamar actually was not in the army at that point. He did uh, not join until right before the Battle of San Jacinto. Although this is April 11th. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess he could have been there by this point. Yeah. Uh, Time is no, meaningless the he in the History was, Channel vernacular. Yeah, yeah the, the person he punched was Mosley, and that didn't really happen. Now, Mosley hated Sam Houston. That was accurate. Sid, uh, Sidney Sherman hated Sam Houston, and then Lamar hated Sam Houston. Um, they all hated him, <laughs> but there was... There was no punching and no water drenching of Marty McFly. Yeah. I mean, George McFly. Yeah. So what we've got is a, a compression of time and subject yeah. in order to compress all of these things into um, 
a dramatic presentation. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. Now, there's another scene where uh, they are, Lamar goes to President Burnett to try to convince him to get rid of Houston, and they're evacuating Harrisburg, and, and everybody's, and it's, it says the runaway scrape, and everybody's running away. I'm like, why are they running? Sam Houston, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, why are they running? Santa Ana hasn't moved yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> If you might be coming in the next two to three weeks. Someday. (laughs) We know you got some things wrong and you blatantly ignored Texas history. We've talked about that. Let's all put our hands together for what I like to call the slow clap. The slow clap (laughs) for the good stuff you got right. I will say this from a filmic perspective, not from a historical perspective, but just from filmmaking and acting and performance. The scenes with... Emily West and Santa Ana or Cynthia Addy Robinson and Oliver Martinez were all fantastic. They had a natural chemistry. They hit all their notes for the characters. I thought the costume and production design of those scenes, including the, the couch bath with all candles. the candles, candles, they were all, yeah, they were all fantastic. All of those scenes were really good, really well made. Um, she, Cynthia Addy Robinson continues to shine as a bright light of this show along with Oliver Martinez and Bill Paxton. But those scenes in the Mexican camp look fantastic, except for continuing cockfighting and tequila-soaked partying scenes that just completely (laughs) derail things with zero I'm not going to lie to you. Like, being in the Mexican (laughs) army, it sounds pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cockfighting and tequila? Every night. Every night, every night. Every night. But but the point is, is that those scenes worked, uh, and and they made they made the second episode a lot stronger than the first episode. Another continuing shining jewel in this show is Ray Liotta. We barely saw any of his Lorca in the first episode. We just saw him escape from the ruins of the Alamo. But um, in the second episode, we get to see a lot more of him. He kills all the Mexicans that he runs into. <laughs> um, fights like a you know, fights like a Navy SEAL. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like the Hound. Like the Hound yeah, from yes, Game of yes, Thrones. Yes, he fights like the Hound from Game of Thrones. But it's, it's, I don't know, he's just a delight. I mean, Ray Liotta, it's good to see him in a role that he's not a wise guy and he's not perceived as a wise guy. He's, But he's got, you know, he's still got his Ray Liotta intensity. It, it was, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed him, even though... There's no relation to actual historical events in his no, role. He was his performance yeah. is is again like yeah. when we talk about the good stuff. You're going to hear us say a lot of time, historical accuracy aside, great performance or or we like this piece. Yeah, yeah I thought it was a little weird. Brandon Fraser, I guess, is the one who kind of explains what Lorca means, and he has some story about a Comanche demon that comes back to kill, get revenge on people. It didn't make a lick of sense. Uh, but Ray Liotta is great still, and that sequence is pretty awesome. And so far, Ray Liotta and Juan Flores have killed the most Mexicans in this <laughs> war against Mexico. So uh, I'm going to say uh, and kudos. <clears throat> I'm going to say kudos uh, for getting the hatred of Houston right, because Sherman, Lamar, and Mosley, they could not stand the man. Um, but, uh, and this was a good point I think you'd made to me, Sean, is that these men were not cowards. They were very brave, but they just had um, overblown Southern bellicosity. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they just—they yeah. were just big, yeah. big, 
kind of blowhardy, but not not afraid. Like they were ready to go and fight the Mexican army right there, and I think they were prepared to to die. Which you should be prepared to fight and live. I think is probably what makes for more <laughs> success in a military campaign. Okay, and so the other thing I think that they did get right in this episode, they did flip the order of the executions at Goliad. So the men were killed first, and then Fanon were killed in the real executions at Goliad. But they, and the scale was obviously very small. It seemed like there was only like 50 or 60 guys getting killed when there was actually 300. It was a lot worse than it really was. But that scene was very solid. I mean, it, it did pr- capture everything. Uh, that they needed to capture, especially the scene with Rob Moreau as Fannin. Yeah. I thought uh, Rob Moreau's Fannin was outstanding. My yep. favorite part of that is when the guy's about to be executed, he's crying, I don't want to die on this mountain, Jeb. I don't want to die on this mountain. The terrain is just completely wrong. Again, this was something yeah. Goliad. Yeah. I recommend you go. They have a fantastic flat? museum. You can go visit the fort. It's a lovely town in South Texas. It is Nebraska flat down there. Uh, it is a and coastal green. plain. It's green and lush. It's got lots of mesquite and like live oaks and it kind of rolling it, prairie. It's farmland. It's farmland. And it's, it's flat. Farmland. It's very flat. You can see for miles. So there you go. Yeah. They, yeah. And. And I, I'm pretty sure that they didn't say, remember the Alamo. But Jake Busey has that line of saying, remember the Alamo. Jake Busey can say whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. He's Jake Busey. <laughs> he was in The Frighteners. And I will, love, yes. I will love Jake Busey's performance forever because of how good he was in The Frighteners. No, and say, we mentioned earlier the scene where they're evacuating Harrisburg. I want to highlight yeah. Jeff Fahey as uh, Secretary of State Rusk, right? And that who plays Secretary, Secretary of War. Secretary of War Rusk. Um, I think he is a delightful actor in anything he's in, and uh, it was good to see him. I can't wait to see what kind of barbecue sauce he makes in this film. <laughs> <laughs> I I think now we are up to two actors from Lost in this show so far. So yeah, and Justified, awesome. and Justified, mm-hmm. and from they were both in yeah. Lost and Justified. Wow, well, well, there's there a go. there's a, a lot of good actors out there today. So we're 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 not arguing <laughs> with the casting of this thing. Um, Okay, well, let's take a break. Let's take everybody, catch your breath, and let's listen to a few second opinions. And these are things that we we heard from people who, um, through the Twitter sphere and through Facebook and through all of our different uh, uh, media channels. And if you've got a second opinion or something you want to say, go to brainstable.com slash contact. You can find us on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or you can find us individually. Uh, Just go to brainstable.com. You'll get in touch. We want to hear from you. And go to our Facebook or go to our Facebook page and get a hold of us. We got a lot of thanks from some listeners in Houston uh, because they've been going through some terrible weather here. Uh, we've had a lot of bad weather up in Dallas. There's been bad weather in the Austin area and in San Antonio, and pretty much the whole state's underwater right now. So for all the real Texans out there listening, you know we we know you're going through a rough time. So we hope that we're uh, bringing you a little joy in tearing down this series about Texas. This is from at show enough B said, uh, okay, late start tonight. Don't anyone ruin it for me, but has the battleship Texas ported in Odessa yet? I got to catch up. Hashtag Texas rising. <laughs> uh, we also got a response from at Quattro Nelson who says, 
I can't wait until the scene where Sam Houston and Doak Walker invent the game of football. Ah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then this is a tweet uh, from someone uh, in the Houston area. It said, thanks for the snark and the commentary after the day Houston's had. It's been a welcome relief. And again, still remember, it may be bad, but at Texas Rising, it's still going to be way better than Ar- Arkansas Rising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Or Idaho Rising. I, don't I can't know. imagine an Idaho Rising. I, I would imagine when they film Arkansas Rising, they will do it upon the coastal plain of Texas. That's where they will Probably film Probably so. Probably so. I, I do want to shout out to someone who actually had the nerve uh, and the and the cojones to state uh, accurately that Vermont was an independent nation before Texas was. And uh, that is actually true. If you remember, we did a show on it. It wasn't recognized by any other country, but they were self-governing before they joined the United States, between the, Revo- the American Revolution and joining the United States. So kudos to you, Vermont. You should have had, but you should have a Vermont Rising show soon on the History Channel, and it will be filmed in Hawaii. <laughs> so I want to send a quick shout out and thank you to everyone who's been listening, everyone who's been tweeting. We encourage you to tell everyone you know to watch this show, Texas Rising, then come back and listen to our show. We're going to give you the recaps every Monday before we start. So we just want to say thank you to everyone who's tweeting, who's Facebooking us, who's sending us emails. Keep them coming. Watch Texas Rising. Listen to our recaps. Listen to the real history of Texas. And as soon as this wraps up at the end of June, we're going to bring back and finish part three of Davy Crockett, the life of Davy Crockett. So once again, from Come and Take It, thank you. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or just go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. If you want to support our show, please go to patreon.com slash Texas Podcast. And while you're at it, follow us individually. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. We know you love this show. We know you love Texas. And we know that you're kind of on the fence about Texas Rising. So tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes right now because that really helps us out to find new listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. (laughs) 